Here we go. Hansi Freinacht is a Swiss philosopher and author of the book The Listening Society. He is also uh, the originator of the Swiss school of metamodernism. That is a philosophy that, like integral theory, performatism and so on, goes beyond postmodernity or postmodernism and connects an explicitly political theory with a stages model of individual and adult development. This is the second visit here at this podcast and we had a great conversation about uh, this developmental side of metamodernism. I hope you uh, enjoy this conversation. Uh, check in next time. Great stuff coming up. So Hansi Freinacht, thank you very much for appearing in this podcast again. The pleasure is on my side. So um, for everybody who hasn't listened to, to our last podcast or have, has read um, your book, The Listening Society, that's a book uh, on metamodernism, which is a, a way of combining political theory and cognitive and personal growth and development. Yes, I think that would frame it, frame it well. So, and I would like to talk a little bit about this, this personal side of development, this cognitive um, growth and maturation. And I wanted to ask you what you envision for a metamodern individual and how an embodied metamodernism can look like from, from a personal side. What we all know more or less different stages models maybe uh, of Keegan or Biodynamics, Suzanne Cook-Reuter. But what is your vision for, mm. for the post-postmodern individual, for the post-postmodern psyche? Uh, so th there are many ways of approaching what you're saying. Um, and I think the most important one is that that metamodernism naturally is a wide, wide field of many, many emergences. So it is a kind of philosophy that tries to catch the currents of the time and the, the long-term and deep attractors of society and the world at large. So any one developmental theory is going to be very limited and is going to catch maybe one or two aspects of that larger development. And uh, even though I write about metamodernism and even though that is my main interest, it isn't necessarily itself a developmental theory. I present a bunch of them in the book and I present my own four-dimensional four developmental theory also which reconstructs and changes some things around in, in uh, other prevalent theories and, uh, and bodies of research. But metamodernism itself doesn't really have an ideal for an individual or an ideal for a human being. Uh, that being said, there are certain things that are definitely, that there are certain traits to look at in human beings that do appear developmentally and which can very easily be said to resonate on a profound level with the uh, memes and practices and politics 
and philosophies and arts of metamodernism. Um, so rather than uh, replying by looking through the four model, the four dimensions that, uh, that I present in the listening society, and rather than talking about the, the developmental sociology that I present in Nordic ideology, the upcoming book, I would like to share with you then a number of traits, a number of these heuristics, if you like, a number of uh, rules of thumb that you can use to gauge if somebody is more metamodern or less, as it were. Um, and I wouldn't go as far as calling this, these considerations theories, but there are thoughts and rules of thumb which I find personally find very useful and which I find have some predictability. Um, of course, we await more research on the topic and we'll see if maybe our discussions can spur such research. That sounds great. What, what are these characteristics? These... Well, so, so let's start with the first one, um, and which is a movement you can see across, across the stages, across modernism, postmodernism, and metamodernism, is the growth to away from something you can call essentialism. It is the growth away from essences. It is the growth that takes us away from the belief that what you see is what you get. Rather, it, there's an increasing awareness along a developmental pathway, I believe, um, of context, contextuality, of contexts, of contexts within contexts, of angles, of things not being in their core what you believe them to be. So everything is always also something else. And it goes on in an infinity. So you never catch the essence of anything. When you're a little kid, you believe that your grandma is a grandma, that she consists of grandmaness, and that her name perhaps is grandma. Uh, you believe that Christmas just appears and that Christmas is Christmassy, and the Christmasness is what makes Christmas emerge. This very beautifully uh, um, referenced in, in uh, uh, C.S. Lewis' Narnia, when uh, the, the nightmare of the kids is that in the, in the, the winter, in the, in the perpetual winter of Narnia, the white witch uh, as queen, there is always winter, but it never gets to Christmas, never Christmas Eve, perpetual winter without Christmas Eve. This is just one of many examples how children are very essentialist. So, uh, um, Postmodernity is famous for, for example, for the development of social constructivism, for yes. example, yes. which, is a, which is a truism, of course, because without social construct, we, don't, we know barely nothing. And so there's this basic concept of social autopoiesis. I don't know if you... Mm. are familiar with system theory and Luhmann and stuff like that. Yeah. But always when I, when I look um, beyond postmodernism, I always think in terms of psychological auto, mm. autopoiesis, which yes. is in a way a further step back from essentialism. Because, yes. So it, yes, is, is it exactly. That, is it that what you're trying to refer to? Yes. So uh, a, just as the postmodern mind deconstructs uh, everyday reality 
concepts, the market, social realities, culture, everyday naive modernism, naive realism, naive, and of course the methods of science and the communities of science um, and the underlying ontological assumptions of of the sciences. Uh, so the post-postmodern mind uh, begins to deconstruct even the essence felt in structures. Maybe there aren't even power structures. Maybe uh, there isn't such a thing as an evil capitalist system out there. Maybe there aren't even real good and bad people in the, term, in the sense that there are, there's the strong and the oppressed. Maybe all of these, maybe all of these stories are also constructed. And more essentially then, you, um, you, uh, when it comes to your psychology, it also becomes less essentialist. So in the post-postmodern space, when people get really tired of all of this uh, deconstructivism and all of this flat land and all of this all of this surface, surface, surface. When people get really tired of this, they want to get back to something essential, something real. They want to reach the depths of the core of the human being and really touch what is deep within. And the big trap then that happens in this space, there's like a gap between the postmodern mind and the postmodern mind where you can fall in and you begin to re-essentialize things. You begin to want to look at the depths of people's souls. And you say, oh yes, there is such a thing as masculine energy and I can see it in you. And you will find a lot of people in this space again and again falling back to these things. I sense that your soul is leaking. You have not integrated yourself enough. You are not strong enough. You are not embodied enough. You are not honest enough. All of these are new essentialisms that arise as a reaction against postmodern flatland that are nevertheless uh, pre-postmodern, so to speak, and even pre-modern, and they reintroduce actually pathological researches for goats in the machine. But everything right. is always referenced in a, in a bigger, in a bigger, uh, in a bigger, picture of meaning making and everything is always connected to something else and when you are looking at somebody else and you feel i can see what a well lowly individual you are or whatever you're often looking at a thing within yourself and this is something that shows up in uh, it's an angle um, and rather than than seeing the depths beyond beyond the surfaces we have to marry these two qualities to understand the radical contingency and the radical dependency on angles and perspectives, right, as well as yes, as yes. as well as the depths. Because you say re reessentialize and the fallback to pre postmodern times. So, and I I think in a lot of cases that's the case, so to speak. I don't know if you are familiar with the work of Raoul Eschelmann. He's a German professor. He is the the originator of performatism, that's another post-postmodern mm. theory. And what he says is, okay, you have this transgression in, into relativity, in a way, with mm -hmm. postmodernism. But mm -hmm. what happens after postmodernism is that you come back and you can decide for some essential truths, although you know it's arbitrary. 
Yes. And the, this knowledge about, you know, this is arbitrary, but you can still enact as if it would be true. Yes. And, and yes. I, think, I think this is a very important aspect if we talk about social constructivism or psychological constructivism, that we, that we still have the ability to act in the world, hmm. although we know it's, it's constructed in a way. It's defined by our neurological and psychological and social filters. So, and, and that we have to have both of those aspects, that, that we can hold them both in, in our mind at the same time. Uh, I, I uh, haven't read his work. I only know him through uh, your earlier mention. Uh, but I, uh, if, if your if your representation is correct, then yes, I would agree to that, and I would say that that is the both and position, uh, which is also the the sincere irony of metamodernism. Um, so so then that rule of thumb is very important uh, that you grow away from essentialism right. and nevertheless you implant direction and you implant essences as it were, but you understand that they are your constructs and you own them. Um, mm -hmm. And that there are always power claims to any truth claim, including your own. And uh, you have to own up to those uh, to those uh, power claims and to those uh, investments and relations and so forth. So, so that there's there's one of the dimensions and a movement away from essentialism. So that's or, the first uh, one. Hmm? That's the first one. Yes, and I mean the second one would be well less and less judgment. Quite simply, if there is a, a way that we can grow as human beings it would be away from pathology. And pathology, to a very large extent, is linked with resentment, bitterness, and anger. Um, doesn't mean that we can't get angry at something happening or that we have to be calm Buddhists all the time um, or that uh, people without temperament are better than people with temperament. But it does mean that you see less and less pure evil in the world. Um, so it's one of my interview questions I use when I meet, whenever I meet somebody new. And it, most people will be relatively honest about this because we tend to wear our angers and our hatreds as badges of honor because we think they're our friends. And we think they're our friends against the evils and injustices of the world. Right. Uh, but fundamentally, uh, because <laughs> there are no essences and because everything is explicable, bless you, because there, everything then is explicable. And the moment you have said that something is evil and that you are angry with it and you find it unacceptable and you judge it, then you have said that I have found the explanation. I have gotten to the bottom of the, of the equations, as it were. I found my answer and I now know what to remove. And in some cases, that's the case. I'm, that at a cancer, for instance, it's a good idea to remove it. But in larger and more complex worlds, there is very seldom a clear case of a cancer that can be removed. And in the cases that there are, there is a cancer, there's still a dynamic 
the cancer doesn't actually want to harm you, it just wants to grow. And you have to understand the cancer on its own premises in order to beat it, which is actually what the body's immune system does. It understands the viruses, for instance, and it copies them and then remembers them. And that's uh, why you grow immune. And how, well, how true immunity works. As long as you, uh, as long as you still hate something and you don't understand it, it it's uh, you are actually the slave, and what you hate is is your master. Um. So so that's another rule of thumb that you're going to have subtler and subtler enemies, subtler and subtler things you hate, and in the. In the depth of our dreams, then we can wake up at night and we can find ourselves, well, I'm really angry at this person still. So, uh, which means then, aha, even if I can beat this, uh, this anger at the world, this disappointment at the world, because we have all been hurt at some point, even if we can beat it intellectually, we're going to need to, to work through it at the well, subtle body level, or even even deeper than that, uh, at subtle phenomenological levels. So let we're me, going let, to let let me stop you right right there yes, because yes. Your, your your book, the Listening Society, um, isn't very sp or at all spiritual in that sense. But, it's not but, a book but, about um, huh? it's not a book about meditation and psychology. No, 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 no. But, but a rule of thumb, like be less and less judgmental, or that. What, what you described seems at least somewhat spiritual because or belonging to a domain of religious spirituality because so and I wanted to ask the the relationship of meta modernism or meta moderna to spirituality in that regard oh yeah, you're asking a very big question um, but uh, just and, and that, stay in this in this context of uh, yeah. not just to, to stay uh, at this point you know less and less judgment how would you frame that how would you yes. approach that so, so basically basically uh, spirituality is a fundamental aspect of the search for truth perhaps the most fundamental aspect of search for truth and um, if you look at it then we i i talk about depth in spiritual depth in three dimensions in the book there is beauty there's mystery and there's tragedy tragedy being the aching heart for the suffering of of the world and of others and um and uh, mystery being wanting to know truth being able to ask questions being able to feel awe and wonder and beauty then being able to just appreciate the beauty of every the beauty and aliveness and richness of every moment and every site and every context and all the patterns uh, available around us in the world and if we look at that and we see there is there is something about when we approach truth that lets us let go of hating reality these things seem to be married that if we understand the tragedy of the situation and we feel and sense the tragedy of the situation we're not going to hate our enemies in a war for instance because we understand that there's a tragic situation driving it 
And if we understand objectively and have and curiosity and wonder has driven us to try to understand why a certain uh, a certain injustice appears, for instance, and why it couldn't be different at this point of time, we also stop hating the the injustice or or its perceived perpetrators. And likewise, if we see the beauty of something, we also understand that at its core, this thing is beautiful, viewed from another angle than I initially saw it. So it appears that spirituality is is fundamentally married to truth and to truth-seeking. And the closer we get to the truth, the farther we get away from, well, the misconceptions or the illusions, um, which our hatred and resentment are always uh, based around. So uh, this goes back, of course, to... Uh, uh, echo, you can see echoes of this in all forms of, of, uh, of contemplative spirituality. You have in Christianity, you have... If you forgive the world and you accept the truth, then you will be free. And if you look at uh, Hinduism, you have... If you submit to the higher forces and uh, and you let go of your of your strivings of your strife against it uh, the truth will reveal itself and then you have of course gandhi saying truth is god and uh, so, so this insight is appearing and reappearing throughout the religions and uh, well that that i think is a is a general is a general insight that marries metamodernism which is a secular post secular project to to the contemplative insights of the religions right um what i what i see is that this this rule of thumb be less and less judgmental ties mm -hmm. in perfectly with the first rule of thumb, like um, move away from essence, because if you move away from essentialism, you can't really have a, a, a judgment on opinion, yes. or yes. at least an autom automated conditioned opinion about something. So, yes. so how, but how would you go about if, if you view a political spectrum, mm -hmm. just far right, right, middle, left, far left. Mm -hmm. So how, <laughs> How would you judge without judging? Mm. Uh, it, it's funny uh, because you uh, mentioned the three, the third, uh, the third uh, dimension. I was going to <laughs> bring right. up. It's actually the third dimension is, or the third rule of thumb is, look farther and we look farther and farther away from our perceived self. So uh, we look farther and farther away from our own perceived identity on for instance uh, this polit political spectrum so um, if, if you have a farther developed mind you will find if you take somebody well let's say you and me and we uh, and we ask ourselves do we identify with the nazis and naturally we don't identify with the nazis so it might seem as though it's the last place on earth we would look to learn anything. It, it might not even be worth five minutes of our attention to really find out what the, what the Nazis are profoundly about because we are, we're 
pretty sure they're wrong about almost anything. And yet, then, with, as, as our conceptual minds grow, we understand that we can learn many things and little things from our friends who are very close to us. And we can learn a, a fewer things, but bigger things from the ones at medium distance. And if you look at the farthest away from yourself that you can get, if you look at your dialectical opposites, as it were, you will find the, deep, the fewest, but the deepest truths about yourself. Uh, and they will speak to you very, very clearly and very closely if, and you always meet yourself at the end of, of that road, at the end of that uh, hall of mirrors, as it were. Or so what, what do you learn from when, when you don't identify hopefully as a Nazi. So what, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, what, what would you learn from? This goes up, uh, back, of course, to the popular, uh, to the popular uh, Nietzsche quote. Uh, if you, when you look into the abyss, uh, the abyss also looks into you. But um, what, you, uh, what you can find, for instance, as a political modernist in, in Nazism is a very, very strong striving towards totality. So you see that you want to break free from the shackles of everyday life, from the shackles of a, a mediocre bourgeois society, and you want to achieve greatness or something worthwhile. And you want to do something for the wholeness or totality of, in, in the Nazi case, this, of your specific tribe or society in in the modern case, uh, the world as a whole. And you... And the same true for the far left? Uh, yes, actually. So the far, uh, which is interesting, if you look at the far left then, and the Nazis, uh, they identified at, um, as their, their uh, as complete opposites. But if you look at the practices of the far left's politics in reality, they were almost indistinguishable after having gone on for a while from, from pure fascist regimes. If you look at North Korea, for instance, it has very clearly traversed from communism to a kind of fascism to a kind of even New Age-inspired fascism. Uh, so uh, with a caste system and everything and uh, the purity of the race at the center and the militarization of, of society and the totalization of, of society. Uh, so uh, so you, you see in yourself then, aha, uh, the, very, uh, the very thing that I want to bring together the many different voices of uh, a rich democracy and I want to find the common threads and I want to work to synthesize and unite them is a striving towards totality, which is a striving towards wholeness. And wholeness then is the same word as total. Totality and wholeness is the same word. So holistic and totalitarian are actually in, uh, inherently linked. So the more holistic your mind is, the greater risk you have of falling into totalitarian traps. And uh, which is why a lot of the major intellectuals of the, 90, uh, of the 20th century and the 19, late 19th century actually either indirectly inspired uh, fascism and, 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 uh, and communism or actively joined them. There is, of course, Carl Schmitt and people like um, Ezra... 
I, I forget the name, the poet, and uh, and uh, uh, yes, Ezra Pound, and and of course Martin Heidegger, uh, who is a very a very holistic thinker, and um, uh, I would say falls in essentialist traps, um, and and lacks this particular part, uh, lacks this particular part of uh, of the growth spectrum into into uh, metamodernism. And uh, for this reason, becomes susceptible to totalitarianism. Um, so, so, how sure are we of ourselves? Are we are we less are we secure enough in our souls? And this isn't a judgmental issue. It's just a it's just a matter of fact. Either either we feel either we can afford to travel to our enemy's camp. And learn from them, and learn unflattering things about ourselves, and, and risks about our own projects. Or we cannot, because we cannot afford it. Because we get stuck on either hatred, or or uh, or insecurities, or identities, or something like that. So, uh, so this is another rule of thumb: you travel you know, you know, you... farther from your own camp, and you identify them in a more your identity becomes more, well, it was more more of a network and less of a solid cube. Do you know that book, Ordinary Man? I don't know it. But you have heard of it? I have not. No, well, well, this is this book about how um, ordinary ordinary men from a police station in Hamburg, I don't know, 1940, 1941, all in their mid-50s, all ordinary men and Good situated men were drafted uh, to the to the camps, to the concentration camps, and mm -hmm. developed over a very short period of time to monsters, basically. Mm -hmm. So, and this is in this regard. Well, how how can such atrocities happen? How must we be as human beings to develop that way? You know, and to to able to rediscover that that people like you and me could under the right circumstances be in that situation you know and and i think or the wrong circumstances yeah yeah yeah. Especially, yeah yeah arguably exactly so and and to understand because as far as i know the the german people had for for at least 20 years problems with acknowledging the truth that that the hardcore nazis and ss people were people from you know, from within. So, so that is something you can discover that you have a inner monster. Some. Mm. So, I, mm. is it that what you're saying, or is it something uh, more you want to 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 say? Uh, yes, both. And I mean, um, uh, the, the inner monsters uh, are always there, and uh, I, I think I think pretty much all of uh, psychology or or philosophical psychology anyway agrees me on this, agrees with me on this one so we always have this potential for harm we always have this fundamental uh, drive to for for power and we always want to uh, um, to make the best of situations and we can and our minds are bullshitting machines so we can always become uh, nasty perpetrators on, under the under the right slash wrong circumstances, uh, what uh, 
what I'm getting at more specifically is uh, that our, our identifications, and this actually has to do with then how uh, the self changes throughout the stages, that the self becomes more and more vacant, as it were. There's nobody really home. Um, so it becomes less meaningful to hate somebody if you don't believe that there is actually a, a no solid... Uh, yes, there's no essence. Nobody's home. There's, there are only a bunch of uh, interrelated and often uh, not interrelated processes that go on in a person. And, uh, uh, I like the term autopoiesis. Yes, you know, it's actually, like it's, it's, it is a very it is a very powerful term in this. Mm. Or well, self uh, self organization, uh, which also <laughs> says that the self is organized by a bunch of autonomous processes that aren't reducible to any particular self. And this is, of course, what cognitive sciences are telling us. So we we zoom in on any part of the self or the brain can't find anybody there. Right. Um, so. Uh, which is again, I'm sorry to disturb you, which is again a very profound spiritual insight if you, if you it, have that in is. meditation. It is, namely. And so these things closely connect. And then that the, if the self then becomes less essential, if the self becomes less monolithic, it can more easily traverse the many layers of itself and find the many layers of itself also in others or mirrored in others and and that's the rule of thumb then that your your seeking goes farther and farther away from where your perceived identity is so uh, what, what do you do when when you can identify with what, what's his name again milo yanopoulos um, yeah milo so, yanopoulos yeah. yeah so what if you are not that monolithic that you can understand his point of view which is quite interesting you know what hmm. do you do with that uh, well so uh, so just the rule of thumb then is what do you use what do you use these rules of thumbs for <laughs> well you use them for two things you use them for understanding your uh, social environments so what can i they they have some predictability so what can i expect from the people around me right. uh, will they get really upset if i uh, say something to offend them or will they be able to contextualize what I'm saying or maybe if I provoke them will they forever uh, keep a grudge on me or won't they uh, that, that uh, or will, will they be able to participate in a metamodern or uh, abstract project the, these are very real questions at the same time you can use it you can use the rules of thumb to bust yourself so um, whenever you feel superior to somebody or really beyond somebody or that somebody is very, very far removed from you, there is very often something to, uh, something to learn. Um, and uh, you can look for, at your own map and, of the world and see, okay, who wouldn't I think I had anything to learn from? Who do I think is a complete crook? And mostly you're going to find if you analyze them, you view them from, from their own perspective, and you try to see with their eyes, you're going to see that they're saying essential truths about you. Uh, and these essential truths aren't judgments on your soul, doesn't mean you have a dark spot on the uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, but nothing like that. It, it's just that you simply have learned an insight or two, and if you can avoid some traps, that's it.
um, so so there's there's a growth spectrum there, and it and I think it it connects to embodiment very strongly in this sense that. I mean, can we can we take in stuff? Can we, or or, or do we have to throw it away uh, when it touches us? Will it will it hurt us too much? If it does it, well, if you remember uh, another another uh, reference from popular media, uh, Gollum in in uh, Lord the, Lord of, the Lord of the Rings. Yes. So he when when the elven robes touch him, they he feels they burn him, uh, and uh, we. We are all kind of like Gollum there, that we have a sensitive little inner Gollum and things that we might learn a thing or two from or that are too good or pure for us, uh, they, they tend to burn us and, and hurt us a bit. And uh, we tend to want to disqualify or destroy or uh, tend to want to explain away uh, why this why this person is like this or why they have this perspective or why they have been bribed somehow by, by a reward or yeah, something like that. Um, and well, here's another warning sign I'd like to put up in this context. What we, what essentialism leads us to then if we fall in the traps of re-essentializing in the postmodern space, we uh, believe that we can, we we're going to believe that we are better Freudians than our peers. And we're going to believe that we're better Jungians. And we're going to believe that we ourselves can see through them, but they cannot see through us. And that's the big, that is the big illusion. That is the big trap. Um, then what happens then on a transpersonal level is that that's what both parties are going to think. And what, what ensues is a very, very nasty thing. It's a battle of the minds and hearts and souls and and genitals for that matter where you try to out freud one another and you try and see look for the subtlest weaknesses and the uh, the proofs that the other person is a pathetic loser on the inside which everybody is by the way and you're going to uh, look for their softest spots and try to bring them to the light and use it against them because you don't want them to outfreud you and show that show your hurtful sides so it it leads us in a very terrible direction if we fall into the essentialist traps if we fall into the traps of trying to outfreud one another because we believe that we see the inner essences of another person's soul yeah, but there there you have within 3 minutes condensed uh, what happens in every Facebook forum which deals <laughs> with psychology, <laughs> integral theory, spirituality, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. This, is, this is exactly what happens. Mm. I, and, uh, and of course, the stage theories themselves are the, worst prob- uh, are, the, are, the, are the worst of this because the stage theories, rather than being seen in a post-essentialist contextual manner become, uh, and not judgmental manner, become seen as essences. Um, and uh, and that it itself becomes a way of shutting down what we think we can learn from somebody. Oh, you are at, let's say, blue. Uh, I'm not sure if the listener is familiar with these terms, but let's say you are at a lower cognitive um, uh, stage or lower stage of values than me, and then I have nothing to learn from you per definition. Uh, 
and you cannot uh, possibly understand me per definition. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so that you, I mean, that you can is use the it pathology. For, you can use it for colors, or even for the idea that there are stages of development. Yes, you yes. Know, to, to treat them yeah. as essential, but it is, after all, mm. you know, a, a model to orient ourselves. But it is, as a model, it has obviously limitations. You know, yes. and yes. sometimes it limits it limits communication and um, the way to develop different models of, of the world. So yes. and, and to, to bear, bear that in mind that it's yes. it's a tool and you can, you know, something you, you can you, and you should put it away. You know, and this is mm. when I when I see discussions like I, I doesn't doesn't mind. But go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I think a lot of uh, readers or, or I mean, listeners are going to are going to recognize what what you're saying. And uh, uh, I think uh, if if you are part of these these communities, we you see us, let's say us collectively um, to not essentialize. Um, we we make these mistakes a lot and we make them when we get upset and we feel insecure and then we want to um, we want to contain what we perceive as harmful and one way to contain it and make it manageable and put is to put it in a box below ourselves uh, or put it in a box uh, where we see through them and we see their pathologies or their disembodiments or whatever um, which is I mean of course a, a power claim and a disowned power claim that I I see through you, but you don't see through me, and you should be listening to me, and that is a claim for hierarchy. And such hierarchies may or may not exist, but uh, it kind of brings us to a point I was going to bring up a bit later on, um, but to the, to the killing of God, and that we are never really finished with the killing of God, because uh, we always reinvent him, and uh, uh, in the back of our minds, sure. as an, as a God in the sense that there would be an ultimate perspective with an ultimate truth and that we're aligned with that perspective and somebody else is not. Um, sure. that, yeah. So, uh, so we'll, I'll get back to, to that one if you like. Uh, I, I like to go on to the next... Uh, yeah, let's go, let's go to part point four. Yeah, right? point four then would be uh, that you see the appearance of second simplicities uh, in, in um, uh, later developmental stages so um, second simplicities are um, and and I'm specifically spot speaking about around around metamodernism uh, around the metamodern value meme or or uh, or cultural meme or or metamodern modes of thinking you're going to see second simplicity so basically if you see in the this connects, of course, closely to the whole idea of essentialism. If you look at what I call the post-Faustian stage, uh, which means uh, the post-Faustian stage is something like medieval Europe, uh, and you, uh, you're going to have relatively simple explanations for things that tend to be relatively essentialist. Well, uh, there is evil in the world because there is uh, an actual Satan. And, uh, an actual and what? an actual person called mm -hmm. Satan. And Satan, uh, for the heck of it, causes all of this trouble. And if you look at uh, modern, uh, um, the modern mind, you're going to have um, 
often linear models of the, of the world are going to have. Well, it appears that growth causes technological, um, uh, economic growth causes technological advancements, technological advancements improve human people's, uh, people's lives and human lives, and thus there is progress, for instance. So Pinker's That's a, theory, Pinker's approach. <laughs> Well, yes, I mean, Pinker is an is a advanced form of it, uh, but, uh, but in, in principle, yes, he, he does still subscribe to this, to this uh, idea or notion, which, uh, of course, is a partial truth. And then um, if you look at the postmodern mind, then you see uh, a revolt against the simplicities of reality. You see a revolt against uh, big pictures, against big uh, stories about big uh, um, theories or uh, any, you like the details, the cracks, that you, you love when paradigms um, fall apart because there are going to be these dis, dis, um, cognitive dissonances that show up when, uh, when your theories don't, fail to explain the world. This is happening right now, actually, when it term, uh, within our own community, when it comes to developmental theory. We, th there are so many things happening in the world that we have greater and greater difficulty of explaining that we're experiencing a bit of a paradigmatic breakdown ourselves. But that being said, um, in the postmodern mind, you see all of these exceptions and resistances and all of these well, people looking at the cracks and the details and wanting to see how there is something unique and how something breaks the rules. So you are against simplicity. But then there is a very subtle and important distinction between the simplicities of the modern mind and the simplicities of the metamodern mind. So the simplicities of the metamodern mind are only abstractive simplicities. There are uh, such things as well, you see that there are developmental stages and there is a simplicity to it, but whenever you try, and uh, you try to approach a real case in reality, it falls apart and it's going to produce uh, a bunch of, of problems. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it is true that these, that these developmental stages are there and that they're relatively simple to define. And um, that, that is one example of a second simplicity. So you can see... You mean, you, you mean those anomalies um, which, which Kuhn mentioned? Or what are you Yes, about? yes, yes. Uh, but but uh, it, that, that was what I meant when I was talking about the par uh, paradigmatic uh, difficulties or, uh, or uh, all of these exceptions. But when you get to uh, the... Uh, and that's what the postmodern mind thrives in. It loves these... Uh, these uh, little paradigmatic breakups that, right. that Kuhn talked about. Uh, and it loves the transfers from one paradigm to another. But if you look at the metamodern mind, you're going to see that there is, that the person or the thinker or the agent in the world has, well, for instance, these rules of thumbs. I would call them a second simplicity that you can see that okay, I recognize that the world is really, really, really complicated. And I recognize that my rule is only a rule of thumb and I will have to contextualize it infinite, infinitely. Right. Uh, yes. But nevertheless, there is a simplicity there that is not apparent to the postmodern mind. The, it, it, if the discussion we're having would be 
played at any normal university, for instance, or humanities department, they would think we are deluded because they would think we think the world is, too, is much simpler than they think. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, they would miss out on real predictive patterns that you and I see that they don't see. And uh, that's the second simplicity. They would, right, think, right. they would think that we are modernists because we're talking about stages, because we're talking about predictive models, because we're talking about uh, rules of thumb and so forth. Uh, and, and that... Right, it, it, is, somehow, it somehow reminds me of something Oscar Wilde said. I think it was Oscar Wilde. And he mm -hmm. said something in the lines of... Um, you, you have to enact your values in a way that they are in a way self-ironic. So he gives, a, he gives mm. an example. So, so if you have the rule, um, you have to be moderate, mm. you know, in, in regard of your mm. diet and in regard of alcohol mm. and sexuality, wh whatever. Yes. But you also have to be moderate in regard of your moderation. Yes, yes. So <laughs> okay, you, ha you, you have a double spin there. Mm. Yes. Uh, it, it is it, it, that that is exactly uh, that is exactly a, a very nice uh, example. Actually, one of my favorites. This one, uh, I uh, I was only made aware of this uh, Oscar Wilde quote um, recently. Um, but uh, the moderation of moderation, which then includes, um, uh, which then of course includes the the opposite of moderation, that excess and transgression and acting crazy has its place in a moderate, <laughs> to, to a moderate extent, which means that all of your life should be a series of transgressions and then, um, and then uh, uh, an effort to stretch yourself as a person to take the consequences of your own acts of transgression and craziness. Mm. Uh, which then produces a very different, um, a very different uh, idea of moderation than than Aristotle's original uh, idea. Right. Uh, Oscar Wilde has a specific name for, um, for for that principle because he applies it to, to different to different uh -huh. points of of ethic. I, I've translated uh, some essays of of his, and but I can't remember oh, yeah. that. I can't remember his his name for that. Maybe uh, I, I, so Tom, I, I don't. I don't know his name for it, but uh, I know my own name for it, and it is fractality. Because right. you see, what you see then is um, is a function applied to itself. Right. And if the function applied to itself still works, if it doesn't break down, mm. and you can and you can repeat it in many iterations or perhaps even an infinity of iterations then you have hit a paradigmatic jackpot then right. that means that that your principle holds on a level on the level of a second simplicity right uh, which is uh, then that that kind of thing shows up more and more in well late stage thinkers or or meta modern people um, but it's also but it's also systematic thinking because that's 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 autopoiesis that's re-entry yes. self-referentialism you know that is that's it's 
Uh, certainly, Tom. It, it depends a bit on which which uh, language we're using. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. so what you're saying is it is systemic thinking, and uh, systemic thinking is often also allied or or very closely related to metamodernism, right. metamodern ideas. Uh, when uh, I the, the way I use the terms is sy not systemic but systematic, and then meta systematic, and then uh, paradigmatic, right. uh, mm -hmm. which are cognitive stages from as you know, uh, Michael Commons' uh, theory. That I, I'm guessing we, we might be losing a couple of listeners right now. But, uh, no, but, no, we're, uh, still, we're, still, we're still on track. Because you, mentioned, you mentioned Commons in, 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 in the book, The Listening Society. We don't have to go in, into detail. Uh, yes, I, j just to point out that uh, when I say paradigmatic, it may very well be in line with what you're saying when you say cis systemic uh, but in my terms, I mean systems I, theory just yes just, systems know. theory yes uh, so uh, actually yeah let's let's continue then the, the next point or is there anything else you'd like to, no, so to we, we have four points now the last one was second simplicity so and I, and I guess yeah. we have a, have a pretty clear picture of what that means now yeah, so so I mean, what you so I I've just looked for a rule of thumb. If somebody shows a greater number of second simplicities, uh, or and they can explain the first simplicity, the problematization of this the first simplicity, then the non-simplicity, so to speak, and then they can reconstruct it at a more abstract level, and uh, that is the second simplicity. And uh, that's the kind of thinking we need to be able to talk about and act upon if we are to be agents of the metamodern world. Right. Um, at the same so, while at, well, at the same time, um, having the ability to be ironic about metamodernism. Yes. Yes, say, yes. Uh, so so uh, <laughs> what you say is very important because um, it, all of what you were saying, of course, applies to all of what we're saying, <laughs> which uh, Oscar Wilde again, moderation in everything, <laughs> yeah, dot, yeah. including moderation. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, the next one is um, less monolithic solutions. And it's in a way the simplest one to understand. I mean, People are going to fall in love with things. People are going to have life-changing insights and they're going to have life-changing experiences. And they're going to fall in love with one dimension or one lever they can pull or one button they can push or one skill they can apply or one setting they can be in. And all of these things are traps and all of them lead us away from, let's say, the metamodern attractors, and they lead us into pathologies. Advanced thinkers do this all the time because we're all feeling and sentient beings, and, uh, and we're all invested, and we're all vulnerable. And it's so, so, so tempting to feel that we have not maybe the answer, but to have one super answer. Um, and I see this all the time uh, in my friends and communities, etc., people fall in love with one thing. Uh, unfortunately, often it's psychedelics. So they think, uh, they think if uh, everybody took DMT and then they would see the greatness and vastness of inner space and then they would relate profoundly to the world and we could relate to one another in that space and then 
everything could be so, so, so different. For instance... Hansi, uh, if we all well, could love each other, everything would yeah. be perfect. <laughs> the the, the uh, irony of the matter is that what you're saying is, is perfectly true. <laughs> it's just that... Um, it's just that it, that statement in itself won't do so very much for us. Um, but try to fix a broken leg with love. Yeah, so, something like that. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, suspecting you did try to fix your broken leg with some love. I hope you did. Um, no, some, well, some, some doctor loved me, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, uh, we, we should tell the readers we talked a minute before we went home and Tom told me he has a broken leg. Yeah, from Broken knee, yes. Mm. A broken knee. So I was going to say, um, so we go, you move away from monolithic solutions. I mean, other ones are, uh, other ones are, we need to really change the monetary system. This one is common in progressive circles and then uh, integralist circles and proto-metamodern circles. And I'm, I'm glad to see it's falling back a bit. Uh, it was hysterical for a while. Um, another one is we all need to integrate our shadows. The more shadow work we'll do, uh, the more fantastic uh, policies will come out on the other end. Right. Not going to happen. You're going to get in Freud wars and, uh, and where you try to out-Freud one another. And, um, well, just, just anything. Like uh, even, even if we would say... It, if I would say something like myself, uh, everybody has to read the Hansi Freinach book about the listening society, and then you'll know how to make the listening society. And you, in the book two, you're going to find out the, the real political game plan for how to do it. Well, that would, if, if I believe that just pushing this button enough will save the world, well, then I'm crazy. So, uh, uh, and even though it's understandable, because I put all my love and thoughts over many years into those books, I mean, it still doesn't make it right. Uh, and uh, well, that, that's another thing then to look for, um, and for in, in metamodern minds, but also a bottleneck that takes many, many advanced people uh, with, with a lot of powerful insights and a lot of good skill sets and complex personalities and so forth. And it creates a bottleneck on these people, right. which means, means that they cannot fundamentally participate in the larger metamodern enactment in the world because, well, they get stuck on one thing. And um, it's okay to have your thing. It's just the belief that it's the thing. Uh, and I'm, that... I'm, I'm always suspicious um, with monocausal explanations of solutions. Mm. Yes. You know, I just, yes. It's like, um, be, because it can't work. I just, like a couple of days ago, I had a, I had a podcast which is coming up with John Bunzel, you know, mm -hmm. Simple, which is, yes. uh, which, which is this, this fantastic, yes, fantastic idea, not, you know, not, not to try to seek monocausal solutions for the um, world's problems we have, but just hmm. take a bunch of them and and try to deal with the complexities as complexities. Yes. You know, so. Uh, so, I mean, just we should probably mention that uh, the simple solution then is simultaneous politics and they basically want to work for um, well, creating a civil, a transnational civil society where people across many countries uh, uh, 
support their parliamentarians to simultaneously enact policies that would, for instance, combat climate change. Exactly, because so if, if they were only... the prisoners' dilemmas. Exactly. If they were only to tackle climate change, one, one country would lose, other, another nation would win. Yeah. And so they're trying to balance it by mm. um, putting up different policies. So they, they, that's a win-win situation for everybody. So that's a yeah. basic idea. So and I think that's a world-centric and, and complex um, approach to, to, to a kind of thinking mm. like this. Yeah, I, I think it is. And, and of course, what we've said applies again. So uh, just simultaneous politics would, have, uh, would of course, be subscribing to a, a monolithic solution. Uh, so, so we always kind of, another way of saying this, if you believe less in monolithic solutions, is it's because you see the world more as an open system rather than as a closed system. Like you, you can certainly find monolithic solutions within closed systems. Let's say we have a simple chamber and uh, all the rules that apply within this chamber are mechanical uh, or, uh, or let's say a relatively simple uh, uh, mix of gases or whatever. And then, then you can find one optimal solution. I was wondering, you say that simple would be a, a monolithic solution. Wouldn't that be the, simply the, the difference no, of... Uh, well, well uh, uh, I'm not saying this is a monolithic solution. I'm saying if you, it's okay to have your thing and you're going to try and find a, as complex and deep solution as possible, and that's what everybody tries. But then the subscription to, I believe this is the solution, or I believe this is the master variable that changes all the others. Uh, then that in itself is a sign that we're not approaching, uh, we're not partaking in a larger open process, uh, open-ended process, which I believe, uh, well, what I call uh, the emergence of metamodernism in the world uh, is. So, uh, so just just the very um, just the very belief. Then, if you see it as the solution, or you think that if everybody just pushes this this button then everything is going to be much better or it can solve all the problems yes and, um, that's I, what I, get, I get i get what you're saying and i'm so I, I want to stick with this because you know there's this example and i don't know if, if the you have you have a river and you have like trunk trees you know mm -hmm. and, and they were transported through the river and sometimes mm -hmm. it happens that they get stuck all the way so nothing moves anymore you know, yes, because yeah. so so and and then there's a specific sometimes there's a specific trunk and and if you remove it the whole mm -hmm. movement the whole thing gets to move again you know the yes, whole yes. chunk of trunks moves down the stream yeah. so, yes so so, so uh, that, uh, that, and that would be in a way a monolithic solution for a complex problem Yes, uh, th that's a very, very good point. So uh, we still need to look for pressure points, but the pressure points are momentary. Uh, so, right. uh, mm. so they're never uh, universal. So, for instance, uh, in this case, uh, uh, we would think that, aha, so hence trunk removal is, this <laughs> is the answer. And... Uh, no, it was just a, a, yeah, a, yes. a, an example for yeah, yes. a simple I, I'm, solution for a complex problem. Yes, yes. I'm, I, I, and what you're, what you're talking about is what I call pressure points. So right. sometimes in, in the system, there are going to be certain things we can push, certain buttons we can push, certain things. Uh, it's just that as a rule, 
thumb, uh, we are going to see that our solutions are only attempts at finding the right pressure points to put, to that's interesting for a bigger system rather than it being the solution i mean for instance well look at marxism for instance it believed that just marxism itself was the solution to the problem and it it believed that it itself in itself uh, did solve in a in a manner of speaking the problems of society and um, of course that's not how it turned out and that's uh, so interesting because where did i re read that i don't know but um, it was about managing firms and the the more faculties a manager has the 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 more profound is his capacity to tweak little things in in the organization to make it better you know it's mm. like he, he yeah. consciously looks for those pressure points mm. to improve the general output of, yes. of the firm, of the yeah. factory or whatnot. And, uh, and that, that would be another way of putting it. And these, these are just rules of thumbs, right? right? So, and this one is the crudest one perhaps, but still one I want to bring up because like, what is it like to be a metamodern person? What it, well, we can tell, we can say it's, it's not like you have one solution, right. um, which it, at the surface level, it might look the same as the postmodern, um, as the postmodern skepticism, uh, but uh, it's not that. It's just the fact that you you won't, uh, you will be naturally suspicious of yourself whenever you feel infatuated with one great solution and you find everything is coming down to one thing and you found it you struck gold and you need to get everybody else here. Well, whenever that happens, you're moving away from being a metamodern person, even if you're super smart or, or even if you're, you've traveled a far, a long way in terms of your spiritual development or something else. Right. Um, and it, because it's so important and because it happens so much, I, I thought I'd bring it up. Um, I, I actually have like a, a fifth one also, but it's uh, the sixth. It's, we are, we are. Oh our... yes, uh, I'm sorry, a sixth one. But uh, and it, I mentioned it briefly before, but it's I, I'm not really sure if it fits on this list, but uh, it's the continuous killing of God. So, uh, um, and well. It's popular these days to say that God is a verb. God, God is something you do. It's popular to say that things are verbs in, in general. I'm growing tired of it, frankly, and everybody's saying, well, participation is a verb. You have to participate in all of these things. Um, and what people want to uh, emphasize, of course, is the, the importance <coughs> of agency. Bless you. Thank you. And what, what I want... Uh, what people want to emphasize with this is that things are processes. Uh, they they depend on agency. They depend on being very present with what you're doing. Uh, you uh, you have to. They, they, things are fluid. Changes you go along, and that the, that's an important insight. And and actually, you have to take responsibility for it. You have to actually do something. That's why people say God is a verb, for instance. And uh, so you you do something, and then you have. A relationship to to the divine. Um, Wait a minute. Of course. <coughs> oh, I have a little cold, I think. So I'm sorry. Oh. Go ahead. 
That's quite all right. Uh, so this uh, this fundamental relationship to agency actually works the other way around. I mean, if uh, God is a verb, so is not God. Uh, and not God means atheism or means secularism, means trying to disenchant things, right? means trying to... Uh, to bust yourself whenever you think you have um, an objective measure of things, where I mean that uh, you can, that, that uh, you think you see yourself from the outside, that you have the, the, the objective camera and you know, really know what's going on and the others don't see what's going on. Uh, and that, that's why you again and again have to kill God, as it were. And God always is always reborn on the third day. Uh, so, so I would I don't like know to... exactly uh, at this point. I I don't exactly understand what you mean when I think <coughs> when I think <coughs> heavens. If I think of God, I think of a of for example of our highest ideal, which we have chosen in a way, and that we enact, and that may be a religious ideal or a modernist ideal. Or even a postmodern ideal. So, and yeah. and there's always something on top, uh, or uh, of our hi hierarchy of ideals, so to speak. Yes, yes. So there's there, there has to be something on top, and we enact that. It doesn't mm. matter if we have a. Um, it doesn't matter that if we would, if we have a modernist worldview and, and are scientists, we're still believing in that worldview and still live in that kind of frame. So, I. What, what uh, very, exactly what you mean? Uh, very good, Tom. Uh, so, uh, so in all of these, it's it's a good conception of God. So, uh, so the highest ideal, depending on who you are and depending on what perspective of the world you have. So, there's going to be a highest principle, highest ideal, um, and and it's going to look different, as you say, if, with a modernist mind or a postmodern mind, and depending on some cultural traits, etc. So the metamodern God then, uh, what is the highest ideal? It's going to be an open system and it's going to be movement and it's going to be newness and birth and it's going to be process oriented, which means that you need to keep chopping off God's head continuously because your hierarchy needs to stop not as a pyramid, it needs to have an open end. Uh, and when uh, and, and you and that's something you must be doing. We must be doing continuously. Uh, so uh, we are going to get ossified or get stuck on well, let's say one solution or one theory or one view of ourselves or one identity or one highest ideal, and we're going to well be totalitarian, monolithic about it. If unless we. And we're going to think that we have a better truth than somebody else, and we're going to shut down our listening, we're going to shut down uh, our uh, our participation in the open systems of the world uh, if we believe that we approach God. So God always has to be a little farther away, a little farther away. And when when we do find uh, when we do find an ideal, we need to chop its head off after a little while, and we need to do so continuously. So the, the metamodern pyramid of reality, if, if you like, with a sun at the top. So in, in, um, in Egypt, of course, the 
early monolithic religions, you literally had the sun at the top and you had a pyramid and that was all the reality in old society. Um, so what, what do we put there instead of, instead of the sun? Well, we, we need to put the open horizon of the unknown. Um, and the unknown in words and the unknown uh, that arises from, from relationships and the unknown that arises from, uh, well, scientific discovery and, and uh, well, pretty much from anything, really. Um, and, well, so, so, so th that's, that's a rule of thumb I'd like to, to add, that you have, a very, you have a very disrespectful relationship, if you like, to the divine. Uh, you, uh, <coughs> you always you always resist and you always bring it down. And uh, in, in that way you keep it alive. So that this is by killing God that you worship God in a way. Um, and I, I think it's, there are a lot of traps around this uh, also, and they lead to totalitarian thinking and to monolithical thinking. If we think that we have approached God and somebody else has. That, that leads me to another question I had, and, and it, it ties in perfectly because, you know, you I think you only can chop off God's head in in your in your language or or kill God if if you at least momentarily enact His values. So you bring it into the world, and I think this is this is something which this this component of acting is something which is lacking somehow in in the developmental community. You know, where it's, yeah. everything is about. We, we talked about about colors and stages and the the, the model itself of, of development, but you know this those those values those ideals have have in itself no value if you don't bring it into the world and if you don't enact those values. So world and self are changing in a way, and you can establish. Hmm. a new god if so to speak because you 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 were an agent of change so to speak hmm. you know so hmm. and i don't know if if i get you correctly so that you have to <laughs> that you have to enact the values of god in order to kill hmm. them and to establish a new god uh, uh, i i agree with you on a profound level tom i just like to uh, i just like to point out uh, uh, an important distinction that agency, of course, what is agency? That's that's one of the another one of the traps that uh, uh, when we haven't done our our God killing, uh, or when we are feeling monolithical ourselves, that we believe that we know what agency is, and that somebody else is only talking. For instance, <laughs> uh, that that's one of the many ways that we can trick ourselves that uh, we are closer to to. Uh, to the truth or God. No, but it's about it our that, own gods. No, it's yeah, not yes, about yeah. the gods yeah, of somebody it, else. But uh, uh, Wait a minute. What, what I meant was just that uh, I'm just putting in a th parenthesis here that uh, if I will talk about agency. Uh, I'll just point out that when I, when I talk about it, I don't mean as an opposite of just talking or because who knows what is agency. There is uh, Slavoj Žižek, for instance, he liked to... Uh, uh, to tease the the um, occupy movement by saying uh, enough doing let's start talking he says don't just talk don't just do don't just do something talk 
around uh, the, the metamodernists right. might might add, don't just talk, meditate, for instance, because meditate is for instance is often a much more fervent action and and effective action than, for instance, uh, dis discourse. And discourse can often be a more fervent action because it, on an abstract level, uh, coordinates more uh, more movements of the body, for instance, than than non talk not talking. You can't build a skyscraper without talking about it. Right. For instance, so uh, so even though building a skyscraper looks as it's the real thing, the real thing is actually talking. Uh, and right. even though talking looks as the real thing, the real thing is actually contemplating. And contemplation then in turn might uh, might uh, depend on even more profound practices like uh, right. meditation or something. So ju so so just that being said, yes, I agree with you very very much. And uh, we do get stuck or uh, people in the post-postmodern or aspiring to be post-postmodern uh, communities do get stuck on doing pretty much nothing. And uh, 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 an important sign of this is just the prevalence of, uh, of how much of this goes on on Facebook. Right. Um, and what do we do instead? I think the answer is politics. I think politics, arts is also good. Uh, if you enact something through an, through an art project you are shifting uh, you are shifting culture and then you are really doing something because if what you are say, saying or doing or expressing spreads metamodern vibes or culture in the world then that has a profound effect right. um, and it, it and it engages in, with the open systems of the world because everybody's going to interpret what you did. But then that, of course, requires that you're a good artist. You can't just do art uh, and, uh, and not, um, um, well, without, without the, the proper skill. The, the other part then about politics, for instance, um, is, well, what, what, is, what is political metamodernism? There are many, many close, close connections to to integralism, and I was inspired very much by by Wilbur's work. Uh, I naturally uh, don't buy all parts of it, but uh, but there are parts of it that are that I still uh, learn from and that I still uh, dive into and and feel feel I I am learning from. What I can so, I just can I one, say one thing? Uh, just just uh, well, no, well, actually, I would like to finish the okay, sentence. Go uh, so. Uh, uh, but what this project lacks fundamentally is a connection to the economic and class-based struggles uh, and state-based struggles going on in the world. Uh, so it needs to be um, it needs to be reconnected to the real social political processes out there in the world. It needs to be politicized. There right. needs to be mm -hmm. struggle and a drama, and uh, there needs to be a real effort to change power relations in, in the world, uh, including uh, getting some of that power yourself and, and directing it so as to change relations. Uh, and that's an important distinction between mod metamodernism and, and, uh, and integralism. Another one is that metamodernism is a bit more secular in its, in its outlook. But, uh, but uh, that is what I believe fundamentally lacks at the heart of this. It doesn't have its own, as it were, Marxism. In, I mean, is Marxism now only understood in a very abstract way. It doesn't have a political theory of change, and, then, and thus it cannot 
coordinate people's actions for political change. Right. That's that's the fundamental issue. Yes, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Um, that was great, and and I completely agree. What I, I was just thinking about this old developmental model from from Sigi Jung, and he said, well, at first. That was his notion of development. And he said, first, you have to integrate, I don't know if you know that you have to say, you have to integrate your thinking and your feeling and you, you create a unity out of mm -hmm. this. You become somehow authentic in your verbalization of what's going on within yourself. Mm -hmm. So then, then, then you have to integrate this, this with your acting, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you can act authentically, you mm -hmm. know, that your your deeds fits to, to your thinking hmm. and to your feeling and, and you not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk in a way. And in and, hmm. and, and something, in some sense, that is the state of, I would say, uh, integral, of the integral community, hmm. you know? So it, it, it's a very, it's a very, um, hmm. superficial model, but somehow it fits. Yeah. So, but, yeah. but Jung has another, step forward and he says okay you have now this this integration of, of of thinking feeling and acting and the next step is that you have to integrate this with the world yes so and so you have to you have to bring that into the world and it's maybe it's your temperament or your interest or whatever it is but you have to you have to be you have to enact your your highest god mm -hmm. you know you have to you you have to be you, you you can be politically active, but but it's a way you can do it. But there are differently there are different ways you can do it. But you have to do it. You have to step out of that bubble, in a way of of your own ideology and confront it and, and unite it with the world. And that is the interesting thing, I guess. And I, you know. And how do we proceed from here? I mean, uh, you're going to get my suggestions in the in the book uh, in the book Nordic Ideology if you decide to read it later on. Uh, and then my suggestion is, is a plan for political action and uh, a transnational network or swarm of people informed by the same plan who then look for pressure points in the global system. That's, that's basically what we're, uh, what I believe is an attractor point ahead. Um, right. And then you need all sorts of fail-safes to not make such a thing, uh, well, authoritarian or elitist or uh, or sectarian or cult-like even so uh so so th that that politicization plan is is my plan of action i'm sure there are many other plans of action uh i'm sure for instance within um within the fourth sector within social entrepreneurships and so forth within the very 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 core of the informational financial uh, informational financial uh, um, machine that is at the center of our economy we are going to see small islands of more metamodern businesses but how, what these look like thus far is uh, it's a bit early to say and i can't really point at any examples but you are going to find, I'm pretty sure, post-capitalist post, uh, uh, structures in these, in these settings. Um, so th there's another opportunity that's just waiting to be, to be materialized. Right. Uh, 
Not saying that these things are easy, though. And I think that's another distinction that needs to be made between uh, between metamodernism then and and integralism. That in my metamodernism, at least my version of it, with the developmental models with four dimensions, uh, the the demands for the higher uh, for the higher stages are more stringently defined, so that they are more exclusive. Which means uh, that relatively few people can actually enact these things. Um, and if you look at people being at both high state and depth and complexity and code, much of which is statistically inter not interrelated and also be generally healthy and have good uh, privileges and, and resources in society, we're looking at very, very small groups of people. Uh, so in a way, uh, all of this goes back to the developmental thinking and non-judgment thinking. We might be maybe looking for, for agencies where people cannot realistically be expected to have them. People have read Ken Wilber or, or Spiral Dynamics and they feel inspired by it and they identify with these uh, later stages and, and embody them to, to some extent. But when you look at the many different dimensions, uh, well, do you have like a good position in the networks of the world? Do you live and breathe the, the society of the internet uh, and understand its dynamics and can play successfully according to those dynamics? Do you think at least at the metasystematic stage, uh, do you have a diverse skill set and are you socially functional? And if you, if you look at all of these things, you have to, you have to check all these boxes and you see it's not very realistic that we expect so much of one another. Uh, it's realistic that the, a person who checks all of the boxes is able to do one thing that sets off uh, a new potential. Uh, so so uh, we need to find those, those people, those people need to find one another and, and find out what can this person do or what can these few people do and how can they start a larger chain reaction uh, which others can can help out and follow um so it, it is both a networked view and an, an elitist view and an uh, which i'm unapologetic about because it's not elitism in in, in the sense that uh, there are which have should have privileges it's just that we may have had too high expectations or Wilbur's theories and, and um, other developmental theories such as Keegan lead us to too high expectations on certain groups of people and e including quite pathologically too high expectations on, on the groups have too high expectations on themselves, which then leads to a kind of Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, well, the effect where you uh, think you're smart and then that makes you dumb. Actually, that's not, done in crude effect but that's a version of it uh, because you think you're this high stage and then that in itself becomes a limiting factor Hansi Freinach thank you very much for taking the time um, doing this podcast again your book is called The Listening Society your website is metamoderna.org and, uh, and right now all of Europe has sunshine but in May, as you know, in the Alps, it's always cloudy. Right. Well, I wish you all the best. Hansi, thanks again. And thank you, Tom.
If you enjoyed this episode of Lateral Conversations uh, and you want to support my work in this podcast, you can do so by using the Patreon link or the donate button from PayPal or you just can buy me a coffee. I will put the link below the episode. I want to thank everybody who already supports me. Very much appreciated. Uh, I hope you tune in next time. All the best to you guys. Have a good one.